Welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 185. We're going to pick things up in Matthew chapter 16. Let's get started. The title says, The Leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The word says in verse 1, The Pharisees and Sadducees approached and tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now remember, they had already done this before, and Jesus told them that there would be no sign, but they're being persistent. In verse 2 he says, He replied, When evening comes, you say, it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. So Jesus is telling them, look, you know how to look up in the sky and see what's going to happen with the weather, but you can't see what's right in front of you. It says, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. It says you're, he's essentially saying, you, you are of an evil and adulterous people because you're demanding a sign from me. But no sign will be given uh, to it except the sign of Jonah. And that's what he told them before, when essentially <clears throat> Jonah would be in the belly of the well for three days and then come out. Jesus was foretelling what would happen at his crucifixion. But of course, they didn't understand that. Verse 6, it says, Then Jesus told them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, this confused the disciples. They were discussing among themselves, we didn't bring any bread. (laughs) Jesus, aware of this, aware of what they were thinking, said, "Uh, You have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves that you don't have any bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you know yet? Don't you remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you collected? Don't you remember the 4,000 and how many baskets you collected? He says, why is it you don't understand that when I told you beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it wasn't about bread? See? He says, then they understood what he had not told them to be aware of, the leaven and the bread but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, then they understood that he wasn't talking about be, beware of the leaven and the bread. I'm talking to you beware with regard to the yeast of the teaching. See, yeast in bread, it rises, right? It causes the bread to expand. So he says, beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware because it expands and it infects people. Title says Peter's confession of the Messiah. Verse 13. Then Jesus came to the region uh, of, of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And so uh, Jesus came to this area. He asked all his disciples are present, Who do the people say I am? They replied, Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15. But you, he asked him, who do you say that I am? So in other words, he says, says, what do the people say that I am? Then he asked the disciples, what about you? You've been with me. Who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you, that you are now Peter. I'm going to call you Peter now. So Jesus is renaming him. He says, and also I say to you that you are now Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So Jesus says, and on this rock. So what is this rock? 
Is this rock Peter? Now, <clears throat> in the Greek, Petros is what Peter means, is what Peter stands for, and Petros means stone, okay? And so, essentially, he, he renamed Peter the, the rock, the stone. And so what is Jesus saying? Is he saying that, and, and on this rock and on you, Peter, I will build my church? Is that what Jesus is saying? Or is he saying something else? See. Is he saying that this rock is the revelation that you have, Peter, that you, Jesus, are the Messiah? Is that the rock that he's talking about? Or is he talking about both? I think he may be talking about both. He says, I'm, I'm renaming you, Peter, the rock. You know, and it says that um, that my church, that on this rock, on you, uh, on you, Peter, I will build my church because you have this revelation that I am the son of God. I am the Messiah. I think it probably means both, but I don't know. It says in verse 19, it says, I will give you the kings of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. What does this mean? Honestly, I'm not sure. <laughs> and there seems to be uh, centuries worth of debates with regard to what this means. It says, I will give you the kings of the kingdom. And so uh, as of yet, Jesus has not given the kings of the kingdom to his disciples. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. What are those keys? Could the key be the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah? Possibly. Is that the only key? Possibly not. I don't know. And it says, um, and whatever you bind on earth uh, will be bound in heaven. What does that mean? mean? I'm not sure. But what I do um, get from this, or what I do think is clear, is that Jesus is telling his disciples that you will be, uh, that you will be infused with authority and power. And you will have power to do things for the kingdom of God. And in order to access that power, I will give you the keys. And so what exactly what the details of, the, this, uh, uh, of these things are, I don't know. I mean, I have suspicions, but I don't know. But what we can say is that Jesus is telling them that they are going to have authority. That's what he's telling them. And to me, that's the most important thing with regard to what he's trying to communicate to them, that you will have authority. It says, his death and re uh, resurrection predicted. Verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be ri uh, raised on the third day. So Jesus is starting to lay out the plan of salvation, if you will, uh, for the disciples. He's, he's educating them on what the process is going to be. But Peter didn't like this. <laughs> It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Because remember, you know, so Jesus is talking about things that are going to happen to him. He says, you know, I'm going to be abused. I'm going to be killed. But the, uh, I can imagine when they heard that, they didn't hear the last part of this, where Jesus is also telling him he's going to be raised on the third day. I'm going to be killed, but I'm not going to stay dead because I'm going to raise on the third. I'm going to be risen on the third day. And so you can imagine like when somebody's telling you something that's not good news, a lot of times we check out after we hear the bad thing and our mind starts going off in crazy places and we don't hear the complete thing. I can imagine something like this was going on with the disciples when Jesus was trying to educate them on what was going to happen. 
And so, so Peter says, no, Lord, this will never happen. Jesus's response, Jesus turned and told people, uh, Jesus turned and told Peter. Now, this is right after he's telling him, Peter and the disciples on this rock. It's like the, uh, Jesus was making an announcement almost that I'm choosing Peter kind of as my leader, you know, because he did this, like I said, in the company of all the disciples when he said, on this rock, I will build my church. So I can only imagine what the other disciples may have been thinking when Jesus was telling Peter this, you know. And so they're thinking, well, maybe Jesus is anointing Peter as the leader of us. I'm not sure. And so that's what he was telling Peter then. But now when Peter says, oh, no, Lord, this will never happen. Jesus turns to Peter and tells him, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. And so, you know, right before here, he's telling Peter on this rock, I will build my church. And then a little while later, he's saying it could be minutes. I don't know. He's telling Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Why? Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Wow. Wow. You could almost boil down the entire Bible to this verse right here. Get behind me, Satan. He's talking to Peter. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's priorities, but only human issues. I don't even know how to elaborate on this accurately. Most of our issues and concerns that exist within the body of Christ, most of the issues that we have, that Christians have with one another, be we divided by race, by gender, by ethnicity, by age, generation, whatever, whatever lines of division that come in between uh, those who claim to believe in Christ, I believe the main issue is because they're thinking about man's concerns and not about God's concerns. The priority in life are man's issues and not God's issues. And that's why these divisions exist. If those who claim to believe in Jesus, if those who claim to believe that he is in fact the Son of God, and that he is in fact Lord, if those who claim to believe this really believed it, then the priority of the concerns would be God's business first, man's concerns second. But that's not what we see. We see man's concerns being dominated and then God's concerns coming after that. Our priorities are screwed up, plain and simple. Put God's concerns first, and all of these lines of division disappear. And until we understand that, I believe there's going to be continued division, if not deepening division. The next section says, take up your cross. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
piggybacking on what we said before. If anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his cross. In other words, put your selfish issues and concerns and whatnot, deny them. Put them away. Deny yourself access to them. Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross. Humble yourself. Put my concerns above your concerns and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. So Jesus is saying, look, if you eliminate your selfish concerns and issues from your life, see, therefore losing your life and take up my life because of me, you will find your true life. You will find true meaning in life. You will find your true self. But it's only if you put down your selfish ambition, selfish concerns, and whatnot, and take up my cause. For what, uh, will be benef- For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? In other translation says, yet loses his soul. So what benefit is it of? Uh, what benefit is it of? What benefit is it to you if you gain everything that you think you want? But you lose your life. You lose your soul. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Jesus is saying, look, because I'm coming. You may have, I'll be working towards things that that you want to do. You may have accomplished things that you wanted to uh, accomplish, but I'm coming. And when I come, I'm going to hand out rewards. See? But I'm going to hand out rewards according to who has done what that's on my priority list, not their priority list. See, you accomplish some of the things that you may have wanted to accomplish for yourself, and you will get no reward. Zero. Verse 28 says, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And many people this, uh, believe that this refers to the transfiguration, uh, the transfiguration, which we are going to talk about right now. The transfiguration in chapter 17. Trans- to be transfigured means to be transformed from something into something more radiant, more beautiful than it was. To be transformed into something greater than it was. It says in verse 1, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother, John. And so this is Jesus' inner circle. And so why are these guys? I don't know. We can, we, we, well, he told Peter that he's the rock. John is his brother, but James is in there too. So I don't know. It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother, John, and led them up uh, on a high mountain by themselves. So it's just the four of them, right? He says, Jesus was transfigured in front of them. So he is transformed. He is morphed into this thing that is more beautiful and radiant and brilliant than it was right in front of their faces. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, uh, talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, 
It's good for us to be here. If you want, I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, what I've always wondered about when I read this is how did Peter know that that was Moses and Elijah, <laughs> right? I mean, they didn't have, like, photographs or anything, so how did they know? Maybe Jesus introduced them, or, or, or somehow they had to be... Uh, there had to be some indication uh, to the three disciples that uh, this was Jesus, that they knew Jesus, but then Moses and Elijah, so how would they know? But that's, that's just me. Verse 5, while he, was speak, while he was still speaking, that is Peter, suddenly a, br- a bright cloud, excuse me, suddenly a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were, ter- and were terrified. I would have done the same thing. <laughs> this voice coming out of nowhere, I just assume it's a booming voice, something that's very resonant and, and kind of everywhere. And uh, I would have definitely fell face down, maybe covered my head. I don't know. It says in verse 7, Jesus came up, touched him, and said, Get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. So all of this scenery, you know, all this brilliance that they had seen with Moses and Elijah and Jesus and this voice, now that's all gone. Now it's just Jesus as they knew him before. He says, Get up, come on, don't be afraid, let's go. So the disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? In verse 11, Elijah is coming and will restore everything, he replied. But I tell you the truth, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him. They being the people, Elijah has come. You know, you were educated that Elijah was to come, and he's already come, but you didn't recognize him. It says, on the contrary, on the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. They treated him however they wanted to treat him, in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. The power of Jesus over a demon. Verse 14, when they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before him. Lord, he said, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus replied, you unbelieving and perverse generation. He's talking to his disciples. (laughs) You unbelieving and perverse generation. How long will I be with you? How long will I waste my time with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Bring the boy here to me. He's talking to his disciples in disgust. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive the demon out? (laughs) Verse 20, because of your little faith. Because of your little faith, he told them. For truly I tell you, if you have faith, faith the size of a mustard seed, a mustard seed is very, very tiny. It says, you will tell this mountain to move and it will go. Nothing will be impossible for you. the second prediction of his death. And so then Jesus predicts his death again, where he says, I'm about to be uh, betrayed. I'll be handed over. I'll be killed, but I'll rise on the third day. The second time he's telling them what's coming, get prepared. Paying the temple tax, verse 24. Then they came to Capernaum. Uh, Those who collected the temple tax approached Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? 
Yes, he said. Now, this is interesting, right? And so we have, I guess, what you would uh, call officials of the temple. You know, uh, so I guess they would be priests. I don't, I don't know, or I'm, I'm not sure. And so they approach it. I guess they were going to go into the temple. And so I said, wait, you know, so I guess there's an interest fee, a tax, you know, in order to take care of the temple and this, that, and the other. Now, now, think about the irony in this. And so the temple tax is for care and upkeep and maintenance of the temple, okay? But the temple is there to honor and worship God. So this is Jesus. So Jesus is there. Essentially, this is his building. This is his temple. And so they're saying, you know, they're essentially asking the owner to pay the tax on his house, you know. And, and, and so uh, Peter says, yes. And he says, when he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. He says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter says, from strangers. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him. And so Jesus asked Peter a question. And Peter answers with strangers. You know, I'm not going to collect money from my own kin, from my own offspring. And so... Jesus said, um, the sons are free from the, essentially from the tax then, right, Peter? He says, yeah. But Jesus says, but so we won't offend them. Because Jesus, no, this is my place. You're my son. You know, we don't have to pay taxes. But so that we don't offend them, we don't get into an argument, a dispute. And so we're not going to go that route. He says, go to the sea, cast in a fish, take, um, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for you and for me. So this is important here because what's happening here? So Jesus is sending Peter to the sea to catch a fish, get the coin, and bring it back and pay the tax. Now, the thing that's important to recognize here is that Jesus is supplying the money, but he's sending Peter to get it in order to pay the tax. The Lord provides for us, but that doesn't mean he drops his provision in our lap. We have to work. We have to go get it. It's laid up for us, but we have to go claim it. Too many times people just want to sit back and have things plopped in their lap. They say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. The Lord has provided, but you have to go get it. You can't just sit there and sit back and wait. And so <clears throat> in order uh, that... Uh, they not offend those collecting the taxes, even though Jesus owned the building. There's no reason he had to pay, uh, pay tax on the building that he owned. It wasn't time for things to be revealed to everybody yet. And so all things in due time, it wasn't time yet. So Peter, uh, so Jesus sends Peter, retrieve the tax, bring it back and pay it. And then we'll continue on with our business. And with that, we are going to be finished for today. We'll pick things up in, excuse me, in chapter 18 tomorrow uh, of Matthew. And we have to always remember that the call is always going out consistently and constantly. To those who have ears, let them hear. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word says that you will be saved. It says one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. So if you believe in your heart, then the result will be that you will be righteous. See, you, you can't believe the things of the word and not be righteous. 
Because if you believe what you read, then your heart is going to be transformed. And you will be righteous. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And so a confession is something that is public. Words go out. People understand. They can't see necessarily what you believe in your heart. But when you speak out and make a public confession, it says that that results in your salvation. And the word says that you will not be put to shame, that you, in fact, will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from damnation. Saved from eternal separation from God. Saved from eternal communion with the enemy. <laughs> you know, the word says that you will be saved. With that, we're done for the day. Everybody, take care, be blessed, stay safe, and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. We'll see you tomorrow, episode 186. Bye-bye.